Hello and welcome to the Voices of Sustainability. My name is Bella Bauma and I will be your host for today's episode. Hello today. Uh, my name is Eric Schumann and I am the conservation intern for the Hope Advocates for Sustainability. And I'm also a sales research intern for Foresight Management based out of Grand Rapids. And that leads us to introducing our guest today, Brian Pedjo, who is the president of Foresight and also an alum at Hope College. So uh, nice to meet, not meet with you, but talk to you, Brian, and, you know, get you on one of our podcasts. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Eric. Mm -hmm. So first, um, on behalf of myself and the other Hope affiliates listening to this podcast, uh, we'd love to hear about your, you know, experience at Hope, such as what you studied what you were involved in in campus, you know, when you were a student, what you were kind of looking to do after college, but then also um, love to hear about how you went from being a student at Hope to being the president at Foresight in GR. So if you want to take us through that a little bit, um, it'd be super cool. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, there's a long version of this story that I don't think your listeners are all that interested in. Um, so I'll try and keep to the short version, but uh, I went to Hope uh, from 2000 to 2003, graduated in 2003. Um, and, uh, I was a history major, English minor, and I went through the ed department. So I actually have my degree in, uh, secondary ed. So I, I thought that I was going to be a history and English teacher in high school. And, uh, I loved uh, sports and especially basketball and I wanted to be a basketball coach. And so that was like, that was my dream uh, going into Hope College. Um, and yeah, Hope was a, an awesome place for me. Uh, I'm from outside of Chicago. Uh, so coming to Hope, I didn't know a ton of people and knew a few people. Um, and uh, yeah, loved, loved it. I things I was involved in. I never actually tried out for basketball, um, but uh, would have uh, probably gotten cut as a sophomore or junior, but uh, had a lot of friends on the basketball team and uh, ended up deciding to uh, play on the ultimate Frisbee club team. So I played ultimate, which I think that's still going. I'm not sure, but, uh, but yeah, that was a lot of fun. And um, for a hot minute, I thought I wanted to be a youth pastor. Uh, so I was also a volunteer young life leader. Um, so that kept me busy. I played a ton of intramurals. Um, I'm trying to think what else I was involved in. That's pretty much it. School, ultimate, young life leader. Um, yeah, friends hanging out, finding a little bit of trouble, but not too much trouble, stuff like that. So yeah, so I graduated in 03 and um, wanted to, like I said, wanted to be a teacher and wanted to coach. Uh, and I I was one of those people that uh, met a girl at Hope and we got married uh, in 03 in the summer. So graduated in May, got married wow. in July. Um, <laughs> We, yes, we are one of those people. Um, that was not at all our goal, either one of us. Uh, 
actually didn't think either one of us would like get married until like we were 30 and then we met each other and one thing led to the other and it seemed like it made the most sense to get married when we were 21 and had no jobs um so uh actually and and uh my wife actually although we met at hope she ended up transferring to grand valley for their graphic design program and so she actually had a fifth year of school oh, wow. so um yeah so we were just you know young and dumb ring by uh, spring like they say yep. yeah. <laughs> yeah so anyway so we got married and because she had a fifth year at grand valley we lived in holland um and she commuted and um and i because we we thought we wanted to move away from holland after she was graduated I actually got a substitute teaching, a bunch of substitute teaching jobs because I didn't really want to get a full-time job if I was going to leave after a year. Um, and then uh, through uh, my Young Life volunteering, I uh, was a Young Life leader at Holland Christian High School. They, they place you at the different high schools as leaders. And, mm -hmm. um, and so that's where they placed me. And the way that I met high school kids was to... Um, I went to open gyms and played basketball and that's how I, I met a lot of the kids. Um, and so by way of that, I got to know a lot of the coaching staff at Holland Christian. And, uh, and so while I was substitute teaching that first year, I, uh, got asked to be the assistant varsity basketball coach at Holland Christian. And so, um, that was our first year out of school was we were, my wife was in school and I was, you know, making, $7 and 75 cents an hour substitute teaching and was a volunteer high school basketball coach. That was, um, that was a cool position, but it was, uh, the pay was, uh, zero. It was all volunteer. So <laughs> yeah, it was, we were young and dumb and poor and it was tons of, it was tons of fun. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, so the, one of the interestingly how life works and how connections happen. So one of the, uh, players on the basketball team his dad was the head golf pro at Wuskawan which is a private golf course on the north side of Holland and I had grown up in Chicago working at a golf course and um and so I got to know him and he and I was looking for a summer job because you can't teach in the summer and he offered me a job at the country club just helping out and at the country club, I was doing a bunch of stuff, caddying and picking the range and working the golf, uh, the clubhouse and mm -hmm. all kinds of odds and ends. And uh, anyways, I met a bunch of people there that summer. And one of the people I met literally came up to me out of the blue and said, hey, I'm starting a business. Would you like to be my first employee and, and uh, start the business with me? And I said to him, well, I've never taken a business class and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find a teaching job and my wife and I are actually looking at moving out of town. And so I don't know that I'm your guy and, uh, but I appreciate the thought. And, and he was like, Hey, he goes, you'll be fine. He goes, you're good with people. And 90% of business is dealing with people. Um, he goes, I'd really love, I'd really love for you to consider it. And, uh, so I thought, Hey, that, 
probably doesn't happen every day where someone just out of the blue comes to you and asks you to start a business. So maybe <laughs> I should pay, maybe I should pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my wife and I sort of changed course and we decided to stay in Holland and I, um, and I took this job um, and yeah, and I've been in business ever since. I never taught, um, I never taught since. Um, and uh, so that company was uh, called, well, it was an office supply franchise focused on remanufactured printer cartridges. So, you know, with sustainability in mind, uh, this, this whole business model was, uh, you know, get your ink and toner cartridges refilled and remanufactured instead of throwing them away. And it's mm -hmm. good for the environment and can save some money. And it was a, it was both a retail and a business to business, um, business model. So we had storefronts and we could, and we had like business programs that we would sell to, you know, like a Gentex or a home college or, you know, um, a manufacturing company or something yeah. like that. So, so uh, the guy that I worked for, just an amazing guy, just uh, really believed in people and saw, saw the potential in people, um, saw things in people that they didn't see in themselves. And uh, which was, which was really cool. And if, and if, uh, and something that I've tried to emulate over my career is, is, is making people, uh, you know, see the potential in themselves, um, mm -hmm. and encouraging people. I, it just, it really, really meant a lot to me in my early days. And so I've tried to pay that forward. Um, and he, and he treated me like an owner. He, I was involved in all the hiring and all the firing and sales and marketing and operations and, and the entire thing. And so two years in to that, we had two locations and about 20 employees. And, um, and I was in, I think 17 of the 20 employees that, that technically they all worked for me. I was the number two um, and they were all older than me, um, uh -huh. which was an interesting dynamic and, uh, but positive and, uh, yeah, just learned a ton. And we were, um, we were growing, but we weren't really making money. We were, we were, so one business lesson that I learned on the fly in the real world is the difference between revenue and profit. Uh, so sales are not the same thing as profit. And, uh, and if you didn't know that at home, uh, that's something you'll want to take away if you decide to get into business. Um, so we were growing, but we weren't making money. And then the economy took a big, uh, it was the big market crash in 08, 09. And basically the gentleman that had hired me and started the business, he was in his mid forties and had been, had been very successful in corporate America his whole career and had quit all of that to start this thing. And the financial crisis was so bad and we weren't really making money, even though we were growing, um, he needed, he needed to get a job again, like, yeah. cause it was, it was so bad. And so uh, two, two or three years into the, the job, he, um, said to me, he goes, Hey, I'm going to go back to corporate America. I can make good money doing that. And I want you to run the business completely. Um, we'll meet once a month to go over financials, but your job now is not to grow it, but to make it profitable. Jeez. And so yeah. we were, 
we were, like I said, two locations, 20 employees and losing a couple hundred grand a year. Um, and two years later, after he said this to me, um, we were seven employees, two locations still, seven employees, and we were making a couple hundred grand a year. Oh. Um, so going through that experience of, of growing something for growth sake and then, and then figuring out a way to like build systems and get efficient and become profitable and, and having going through the experience of like firing people and letting people go and having tough conversations was all like super awesome. And I mean, it wasn't fun, but it was really invaluable. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so we, we got to the other side of that. I'm like 28 or 29 at the time. And uh, we had a good little profitable business and, and I wanted to start growing it again. Um, and he, the owner was just like, Hey, like, I don't want to invest any more money into it. Like, I'm glad that it's profitable now, but I'm sort of done uh, investing into it. And so, yeah. and that was cool. I didn't, I, you know, like I wasn't going to hold that against him. So anyways, I, um, so I'm like 28 or 29. And one of the things that I learned about myself is I love to grow things. I'm, I'm not really, uh, stagnation is, a four letter word to me. I, I really, really, really like to grow things. And so it doesn't matter if they're big things, like taking something from zero to one is very fun and interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, having something at a hundred and keeping it at a hundred is, is not, is not mentally stimulating for me. So, so it doesn't matter how big or small something is. I just like to try and grow stuff. And so for me with him not wanting to invest anymore, it was like sort of the end of the growth period uh, as it relates to that business and, and my experience with it. And so um, I had a good network at the time and a buddy of mine was doing, um, he was doing uh, energy efficiency projects at a company called Midwest Energy Group. Mm -hmm. And he, uh, we, he and I were grabbing lunch and, and it, it, technically at the time I wasn't actually looking for a job um, he and I just had, we're having lunch and he was like, Hey, I'm doing this energy efficiency thing. He was like, I'm looking for somebody that can help me with sales and marketing. I'm not, I'm not posting anything, but if, uh, if you were interested, I would, I would hire you. Um, and so that's how I ended up at Midwest energy group, which was, um, yeah. And so I didn't know anything about energy or electricity or natural gas or, anything, uh, had quite a bit of experience in sales and marketing and leadership. And mm -hmm. anyway, so, um, yeah, I'd made that leap when I was 29 or 30, somewhere in there. And, uh, and was, and yeah, did sales and marketing for a few years. Uh, there was, there's a small company. There were four of us at the time. Um, and we were doing lighting, we were doing lighting retrofit. So we were switching out old metal halide lighting to fluorescent lighting, right. LED lighting wasn't even, the technology was so expensive. It wasn't really a viable business case at the time. Um, so did that for a few years. And then my buddy who was in charge of that business got moved up into the, with their, we had a parent company and okay. he moved us up into the parent company or he got moved up into the parent company and and the owners of the parent company asked me to be the general manager 
I had some leadership experience having had, you know, managed people in the past. And um, so I, I said yes to that. And, um, and around that time, we were developing a, a new service at that company um, that we were really excited about. We call the name of that service. We had named it Foresight. Mm -hmm. And the, the service uh, was, it was an energy management service. And, and the basic idea was it, companies cared about energy, but they didn't either have the expertise or the time to really have a proactive plan around doing anything with it. Um, and so uh, we developed a service that would do, that would be the gap between, that would fill the gap, excuse me, between uh, their desire to do something and, and doing something. Right. Um, and so that service, it had, we built some software, uh, it had some utility bill consulting and analysis built into it. It had some facility engineering built into it. And, and, and we were super excited about the service. We had just piloted it with about 15 companies at the time. And it was a really well-received pilot. And mm -hmm. that's at the time that I was being asked to be the general manager. And so, um, so I had direct access to the owners now, and I built a business plan to invest in this service and software because it was going to be a real growth. It was going to be a real growth opportunity. We thought, totally. um, yeah. And uh, anyways, and the owners, uh, you know, again, no judgment, no criticism, but they were their their whole parent company family of businesses was like 50 million dollars a year and they were in their 60s and nearing retirement and mm -hmm. and midwest energy group at the time we were like one million dollars a year so we yeah. were like small there was like five of us and we were a small part of their whole business and anyways they just they were like hey brian we like you and this plan is interesting but we don't want to we don't want to invest in your plan yeah and so I was like, oh, that's a bummer. And I'm not going to sit around here and like know that we had all this opportunity and, and be okay with not doing anything about it. So in my head, I was like, I'll just get a different job. That's fine. No big deal. Um, and sort of as a last ditch effort, I went to him, the owners, and I said, hey, what if I brought in some outside investors and we bought the business from you? Um, and uh uh, and, and they were open to it, which was surprising to me. Um, and to be honest, I would not have even thought of that as a concept, except that one of my mentors had been walking with me through this journey of the new service and the pilot and, the, and getting rejected by the owners in terms right. of them backing our plan. Um, so uh, he, this mentor of mine, he was like, I think you might have a chance of buying the business from them. And I was like, really? I, I didn't, I just, I did not know like how any of that stuff worked at all. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know about mergers and acquisitions and ownership and all that. I didn't know anything about it. And so I was like, yeah. well, I trust you. So you're going to have to walk me like a kindergartner through this process. Um, <laughs> if you, if you'd be willing and, and he was, and, um, and he was right. Uh, and, 
Um, and yeah, nine months after that first conversation, uh, I had an investor group and put together and we bought, we bought Midwest Energy Group from that other company. Um, yeah. And so then that, and th that has ended up how I ended up being the president of now Foresight at the time, Midwest Energy Group, we changed, we changed the name in 2017 to Foresight Management. Um, <clears throat> the service became so popular that it became more synonymous with who we were than, than the company name. Um, so yeah, so that's the short version, Eric is, uh, <laughs> I'm a, you know, I'm a history major. Uh, I've never gotten a job that I applied for. Yep. Um, I've only, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and I'm doing energy and sustainability stuff with, uh, with, you know, almost no background in it formally. So, Right. Either that's that should be either terrifying or inspiring for people. There's probably not an in between. Yeah, I think that's really good for really inspiring for the people that uh, know people, I guess. So it seems like from a lot of your story, it was, you know, who, you know, not what, you know. So I feel like every stage it was one important person that kind of boosted you up. So it's inspiring yeah. in that sense, but you know, during this pandemic and applying a bunch of jobs, it's kind of, <laughs> kind of disheartening a little bit, but you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I, I feel you. And, and at the time in 03, like teaching jobs, I don't know what teaching jobs are like now to find, but teaching jobs in 03 were, they were so scarce. Like mm -hmm. it was, I mean, you would apply to a, a job and there'd be 200 or 300 applicants. Like yeah. it was insane. And so I, and then in 08, 09, like everybody was losing their jobs. And, and so um, it, I really do, you know, your network is a very, very important thing. At least from my experience, it's been, it's been huge. Um, and hope was a big part of hope was a huge part of that. And, and honestly, young life and coaching at Holland Christian, all of the people that I, that I have met along the way, I either can trace back to Hope College relationships, young life relationships, or coaching basketball at Holland Christian relationships, or mm -hmm. a combination of those things. And, um, and that's the other, you know, I think that for me, when I look back, I think there's a lot of stuff that I was not in control of at all. Um, but the things that I, that I was in control of, that I did, that I think people can emulate is um, I, I had an interest in giving back. So yeah. like volunteer, young life leader, volunteer basketball coach, like me showing up and, and investing my time into other people. Um, I didn't do it at the time. I didn't do it for this reason, but in retrospect, this was a huge benefit is yeah. a ton of the people that I invested in, like their families, a lot of those people, like the dads and moms of the kids that I coached have been a ton of the people that have built into me and benefited me. Mm -hmm. um, and so maybe that's a takeaway for folks is if you're, you know, jobs are hard to come by and you're not really sure what to do find, find a nonprofit that you're passionate about and show up, knock on their door and say, how can I help? Um, because 
probably that nonprofit is going to be very appreciative of your help. And probably that nonprofit has a bunch of people in it or people associated with it that, um, you know, have good networks mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, and it could, I, I wouldn't recommend doing the volunteering for that reason, but I would predict that that could be a byproduct of the volunteering. Yeah. Um, and minimally it's good experience jumping in and doing something you're passionate about and making a positive contribution is a, you know, it's a good way to, I guess, direct some of that nervous energy around whether you're going to get a job or not. Right. Yeah. And last summer I worked at, um, eighth day farm, which was a nonprofit. And I, you know, I was looking for internships I actually applied to, uh, SRG, um, in the spring last, or I guess not, you know, like not this spring, but the spring before, um, got the nine internship, but worked at eighth day, got my connection with SRG. And then, you know, that's how I found foresight. So, but yeah, yeah just got involved and had a good experience for a summer. Yeah. Uh, no, that's a great example of what I'm talking about. That's cool. Yeah. So I'd like to talk about, you know, a little bit more about foresight and I guess enabling sustainability in business. So first with foresight, um, foresight's kind of turned into a management consulting company. And like you said, they, you know, we offer a bunch of expertise on how to assist our clients in things like energy and sustainability. So um, how does Foresight kind of, you know, differ from other consulting firms and how do they differ, especially in the areas of energy and sustainability? Yeah, good questions. Um, so I think that fundamentally, one of the ways that we're different than most consulting firms that I'm aware of is we've we've built most of our service offerings around the idea of um, it's, they're not transactional, they're relational in nature. And, and what I mean by that is a lot of uh, consulting firms, uh, they meet a prospective client, they address a need, they develop a scope of work, they write a proposal, they get told yes, and then they do the scope of work and there's a start and there's a stop mm -hmm. and then it, it's over. And now they may have built relationships with that client and earned the right to bid on more projects, yeah. but the engagements for the most part are basically project-based or transactional. Um, and what we do as much as we can, and it's a big part of our business is we take uh, energy management and sustainability disciplines and we bundle them into an annual managed service relationship and contract. Mm -hmm. So it's not really like, oh, like do this thing, start on this day, give me the report by two months later. It's more of like, hey, uh, what are your goals and needs as it relates to sustainability and energy? And where are you having issues achieving those goals and meeting those needs? And we will, uh, wrap up our services into like an annual or multi-year sort of engagement to help people really partner with people on their journey yeah. versus like jump in, do something, jump out, and then hope they remember us. Yeah. So that's a, that's a, I, 
again, I don't know what every other management consulting and environmental consulting firm does, but my perception is that's a pretty big difference. And so um, one of the ways that that shows up in the real world is we uh, have a software that collects utility bills from all over the globe. So a lot of our clients are multi-billion dollar organizations that have 30, 50, 70, 100 locations all over the globe. And those, each of those buildings has utility bills flowing into them. And our software can collect and aggregate all of that data into one place. And uh, we do that for people on an annual basis. The reports, we report monthly on a lot of the data and, um, and people sign up for annual contracts. And, and then because we have that data, we can then help people do a lot of different stuff with the data. So we can help people try and save money. We can help people buy recs. We can help people buy carbon offsets. We can help people write a sustainability report. Mm -hmm. um, because we've got a ongoing relationship with our clients as it relates to data, um, that really provides a foundation for us to do a lot of the other project-based stuff over the top. So those are probably the two, two of the big distinguishments is, you know, the sort of bent towards ongoing relationships and the, so and the, the heavy emphasis on data and the software. Um, and then the third I would say is there's not a lot of, again, to my knowledge, there's not a lot of sustainability consulting firms or environmental consulting firms that have deep energy expertise. Mm -hmm. um, I think that they're mostly doing like air permitting and compliance and, you know, uh, chemical and water. They're doing, it's all, that's all really good stuff. It's all, you know, I'll call more environmental sustainability stuff. And they, and they maybe touch on energy a little bit, um, but our, our history is in energy, energy efficiency, uh, buying energy uh, and tracking energy and saving money on utility bills. And, and that deep energy expertise means that we bring a lot of financial return on investment benefits to mm -hmm. our contracts. And so I don't perceive there to be a lot of environmental consulting and sustainability consulting firms that can demonstrate a very attractive financial return on their on the investments of, of what they do um, like we can because we have this deep energy expertise and there's a lot of money to save as it relates to energy. So those I think are the three off the cuff sort of uh, meaningful differentiators. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think one of the mission principles of Foresight, you know, I think there's three. One of them is to build long-term relationships and partnerships. So yeah, that totally makes sense. And then something I've heard around the company a lot since I've, you know, been an intern is you can't manage what you don't measure. And that's why data is so vital and important, not just, you know, not just for foresight, but for all your clients and for every other business that's out there. Yeah. Yeah. You're spot on. We, one part of our, we have a three-part mission and one part of it is build long-term relationships. Uh, so that's definitely core to who we are. And, and yeah, and it, you'd be surprised. We were surprised 
how poor how poorly uh, many companies uh, access to data their own data is like and this isn't a not like it's hard it's hard to well think about it like this you got one facility yeah let's call it in you know Oklahoma there's a building there well they've got an electric provider they've got a natural gas provider they've got a water provider and they might have multiple meters flowing into that building for each one of those things. Right. And so just in electricity, natural gas and water, you could have three to seven different bills from different providers coming into just that one building. And, and if you've seen a utility bill, there's like 30 or 40 line items on these bills, right? So there's mm -hmm. just like a lot there and it's, and it can be confusing and complicated. Now, if you're a company that has 70 facilities around the globe, you take all of that complexity in the one Oklahoma building and multiply it by 70 across the entire globe, you know, you get, you can understand why it's hard for companies to meaningfully collect all that information, centralize it and, and have it and simplify it so that it makes sense. Yeah. Um, and that's, and that's a lot of what we do for people is, is just that. But if you had told me six years ago that that would be what people needed help with, I would have been like, no, people have their data. They know, they know what's going on in their building. They just need help doing the projects. Mm -hmm. And, and that is not, and that's, that's not a good assumption to make. A lot of people, they, they have a much harder time understanding what the numbers actually are than what you might think. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah, great answer. Um, I guess moving on a little bit more generally, uh, I think it's, you know, not just important for me. I'm a business student at Hope, so I love talking about business specifically, but uh, what do you find are one or two of the most effective ways that businesses can reduce their foot footprints and become more sustainable? And I feel like, you know, with foresight, you might feel like energy is the way to go or something along those lines. So yeah, I guess, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, as it relates to reducing carbon footprint, um, I, I think that the low hanging fruit for most organizations is um, starting with energy efficiency. So energy efficiency is the, the cheapest and most impactful way to reduce your carbon footprint. I guess it depends on the organization, but for most organizations. So investing in uh, energy efficient lighting and compressed air systems and uh, motors and pumps and HVAC equipment, like getting all of the technology in your facility operating as efficiently as possible mm -hmm. is a great first step. Then, um, then after being as efficient as possible, then it makes more sense to, let's say, put solar panels on your building. Yeah. Because you know if you're creating green energy by putting solar panels on your building, but you're not using it efficiently and like half of it's getting wasted because you have bad seals on your windows or whatever, that seems a little silly, right? So you wanna yeah. get a tight building envelope first and then use the green energy um, because you're not wasting it. So 
that those are two good places to start. Um, obviously, organizations like getting smart about how they travel. Um, you know, fuels is a big carbon footprint contributor and transportation. And um, so, you know, these are these are lesser things for most organizations, but they're still important is like, you know, can do you need to travel? You know, can you do a Zoom meeting instead of actually getting in your car? Um, you know, can you carpool if you do need to get in your car? Those are ways I think that also reduce carbon footprint, but but people's processes and their and their facilities are are you know the predominant drivers, and so um, coming up with ways to be more efficient is is usually the first and best thing to do. Yeah, no, I think that makes total sense. Um, and then I think a good second part to this question is that's sort of the what with sustainability in businesses. So um, from an economic and environmental perspective why is it important that businesses become more sustainable? Oh man, there's a lot here. Um, <laughs> and there's, there's so many ways to answer this question. But, yeah. So yeah. I, I, I personally am pretty inspired by, um, if you haven't read the book, Conscious Capitalism, I would highly recommend that book. Um, but the Conscious Capitalism is, uh, it's a moniker, it's an it's a unofficial name, but that um, I think is really talking about the shift from the shareholder economy to mm -hmm. the stakeholder economy. And so, and not to get into like economic theory too much here, but basically for the last 50 plus years, most American businesses have been operating with uh, with the, the primary emphasis being on finding a way to create value for shareholders, which yeah. is the, the owners of the business. And so the way that this like shows up in corporate America is like profit, like quarterly profits. Like, can we demonstrate and show a quarterly profit? If we can do that, then our stock price remains high and our investors are taken care of and we're, you know, we're good to go. Mm -hmm. And that emphasis on shareholders has come at a cost to the other stakeholders in a business and the yeah. other, you know, and you guys probably know this, so I'm just preaching to the choir here, but the other stakeholders being company employees, the community the company is in, the environment the company works in, uh, vendors and suppliers of the company and customers of the company, like who you are in business for your customer. So when you, if you think about all these things as different stakeholders and shareholders being one of the stakeholders and not the only, you, you really um, start to make different decisions about how you run the business. If you're, if you're, if you're trying to make decisions that benefit all the stakeholders as equally as possible, versus overemphasizing one stakeholder group being the shareholders. Yeah. So that shift is a big paradigm shift that lots of companies are undergoing right now. And I think is fundamentally inspiring. Like, I mean, it's, it's really like, it can get wrapped up in a bunch of like frothy businessy language and whatnot. And, but just boiling, boiling it all down, 
sustainability is about human flourishing. It's about, yeah. it's about how do we create value for other humans and not hurt other humans <laughs> along the way, right? right? It's like, that's, I mean, it, you know, and, and sometimes we can hurt other humans by hurting the environment, yeah. uh, you know, and that, that's a part of it, but really it's like, how do we deliver value and make the world a better place by improving these humans that we're doing business with and along the way, not hurt anybody else. Mm -hmm. And like, it, it seems like sort of simplistic and obvious, um, but, but for 50 years, this is not how businesses have been operating. They've been operating with, yeah, I've got my customer and I've got my employees and the environment is there. And yeah, there's all these things, but really like I need to drive returns for my investors. That's what's most important. And when you get an, when you get an outsized overemphasis of one group, you, be, you diminish other groups. And what that creates is short-term thinking, a lack of innovation, and ultimately not, a, you know, a lack of human flourishing. You're, you end up hurting people along the way. So anyways, that, I don't know if I'm answering your question exactly, but that's what I think of. And that's what's inspiring to me is like helping, we help our clients participate in that big movement, that big mm -hmm. shift from the shareholder economy to the stakeholder economy, or as I like to think about it as conscious capitalism. I don't think, I think capitalism is an amazing force for good, but not the version of it that we've been experiencing in general. I think capitalism, when you are doing it to create human flourishing and you're not oppressing or suppressing or holding down any other people is is amazing like it's amazing if you can if you can just make a positive impact and so being able to have our company help other companies figure that out and take steps is is pretty fun yeah no i totally i think that's an incredible answer and that made me think uh last semester i took you know finance course i hope basically the the goal of finance that was communicated was maximize the value for shareholders within a business. And you just learn all these investment techniques and um, stuff about stocks and bonds and all the above. So yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And I think definitely makes sense to kind of shift from a huge focus on the shareholders, which is still super important, but sure. you know, it has to be a balance, I guess. Yeah. That's exactly right. You can't, you, the thread and, and it won't all be perfectly equal all the time, but I think the productive way to think about it is like really thinking about like, what are the second and third order effects of the decision that I'm making? Like if I need to drive as much profit out of this business as possible in the short term, what else am I doing when I'm making that decision? Oh, I might not be paying people a living wage, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. you know what? Paying our frontline workers 10 bucks an hour is uh, better for my shareholders than paying them 14 or 15 bucks an hour. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and so in the short term, it doesn't really feel like that big of a deal, but in the, like you play it out long enough and it's like, oh, like 
people can't find jobs that pay enough for them to buy a home mm-hmm. that allow them to like have a family that allow them to create wealth for their family because we've got a mixed up view of how much profit we need to drive you know and that's just one example you could you could go up and down you know the list on the environment or communities or vendors you know you can go up and down the list and so it's it's not to say profit is bad it's just you just need to be cognizant of okay like this decision is not it doesn't live in a silo it it has impact on other people and can we make this decision such that it doesn't negatively affect other people maybe it doesn't posit overly positively affect one group of people but we certainly don't want to make a decision that will negatively affect anyone else yeah no, I completely agree on all that. Um, so we're getting, we've been in this talk for a while. So I think I'd like to spend maybe five or 10 more minutes talking and ask one more, one more pretty good question that, you know, not just applies to me, but may apply to other students or other people listening to this podcast is, um, and I guess there's a couple parts and you kind of answer it how you want. So I know you didn't study business at Hope, but why should business students go into sustainability and what kind of job opportunities are there for business students that go into, you know, you know, have an environmental passion or sustainability passion? And then what, you know, last piece of advice do you also have for any of the listeners today? Um, yeah, so the, I mean, if you'd asked me that question three or four years ago, I would have said something like, I think sustainability is like gonna be a big deal someday. Like, I think, I think it's not gonna be just like passionate, like idealists, like sort of like in a corner, like being, you know, uh, yeah, enthusiastic. Yeah. Um, but it's gonna be like a mainstream thing. And so, it's a like now answering that question now, like it is, we're really on the cusp of this being a mainstream thing where every, every business is either going to have sustainability people uh, like on staff to some degree or another, or sustainability, sustainable business practices are going to be interwoven into how a company does business. And I think that that's the real dream is that that there isn't like, oh, these specialists over here. And like, we do this thing and sustainability people do that thing, but that sustainability uh, and sustainable business practices, because I believe this, they're actually transformative and it should actually bleed into every single part of the organization, how you hire people, how you treat people, how you make your product, how you source the materials, how you treat your vendors, how you treat your customers. Like, It truly is a transformational way to look at business. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's an, I think it's a very exciting time to be graduating with a degree, having learned this language and, um, and understood these practices, because there's a ton of businesses out there that are just like, they don't really totally get it. It's like a new concept. And, and they need help and they, and, and so I think even if you don't get a quote unquote job as a sustainability person, you can take 
those underlying disciplines and things that you've learned and you can apply that to whatever job you get. And I think that that's some of the magic of a place like Hope College and a liberal arts education and what I experienced, like I never took a business class, but I went, I went to school to be a teacher. Well, what did I, what did, what are the fundamental things that I learned when going through that program? Well, I got taught how people learn. Like yeah. that's fundamentally like what I was schooled in was to, to be able to convey a message and for someone else to consume that message and to be impacted and have learned something. Now, <clears throat> the thing that I teach isn't history, but <laughs> the underlying principles and disciplines that I learned, I to they totally carry over into all things all things business and all and pick your business. And I think that sustainability, I, I would encourage people to think about it similarly, like, okay, like maybe I think I want a job in sustainability, but I think you're, I think that's too narrow of a view. I think go find a company that is doing exciting work that whose values align with what you value mm -hmm. and then just get on the team and it doesn't even matter the role, just get on the team and hustle and contribute and use the underlying principles that you've learned in sustainable business and sustainability and environmentalism and bring that to your job, whatever the role is and the company, whatever the company is. And, and then you can, and then we can like really transform industry if you've got a bunch of people like incognito like bringing these skill sets into all these different jobs, because I think you can take the skill sets into different jobs and that might open up, I think maybe some of the market, the job market opportunities for you a little bit. If you're not thinking about like, I got a degree in sustainability. I need to have sustainability in my job title. You know, like, I think that that's, I don't think that that, I think that's a limiting way to view the whole thing. So, mm -hmm. um, Anyways, that's been my experience anyways, is, you know, I'm, but I'm the guy that's doing a job that doesn't have anything to do with my degree. Um, you know, other people might want to see a more direct line from their degree to their job, but I would argue sustainability is pretty transformative regardless of what you're doing. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I feel like I'm one of those students that, you know, halfway through college just felt like, man, this huge sustainability movement, I kind of want to, you know, hop on that. I think there's a lot of good opportunities. And I've been seeking a lot of the sustainability positions and, you know, like the conservation internship I have now, which has been incredible and has taught me a lot. But, you know, there's also, I have all these strengths and skills from my business degree that I can apply anywhere in, you know, the business realm that can apply to sustainability in some way. So, yeah, I yeah. totally resonate with what you said there. Yeah. Seth Godin, if, you, if you're not familiar with Seth Godin listeners, you should Google him and then consume everything that he produces, in my opinion. He's got a <laughs> podcast and a, many books and a newsletter and all kinds of stuff. But he talks about passion. Um, and I think that this, and we all fall prey to this, where we like have this vision of like, I want to do something I'm passionate about. Um, I want to like find something that I'm passionate about. And he's got this great take and I'll, and I won't do it justice, but 
he basically talks about like, don't look for your passion. Um, he's, he just says, contribute, find a way to contribute and you'll develop a passion. Yeah. Um, or you'll learn that whatever you're doing, you don't like, and then you'll move on. He goes, but he's just, he totally flips it from passive to like, you know, oh, like I'm waiting for this thing to like hit me like a bus um, to proactive and active and just says, no, I'm going to like, I'm going to, yeah, have like some filter of what I care about. I'm going to make sure the company I work for is, you know, it's got some sort of values alignment, but I'm not going to overthink it. I'm just going to like jump in and contribute and learn something and engage and take action and, and trust that from there I'll learn things and, and, and develop passion once I see myself contributing. And, and the way that he um, talked about that really resonated with me um, because that was my experience. Like I had, I never thought about being in business, but I found myself there and I jumped in both feet and I fell in love with it. And I think a lot of people, um, they get those mixed up. They think that they need to fall in love with something before they spend any time on it. And I, and I think it actually goes the other way around. Cool. Well, hey, Brian, this was an absolutely amazing talk today. Uh, thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, and, uh, thanks for having me, Eric. I appreciate it. Yeah, so for all the listeners, uh, make sure to tune into the next Voices of Sustainability podcast, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure to follow us on our Instagram at Haas underscore Hope College and stay tuned for the next episode.